Hey, this is Nate with Purity for Life. If you haven't already heard the big news, here it is. On April 1st, we will be officially changing the name of this podcast to the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. If you're subscribed, you don't need to do anything on your end except be on the lookout for some new album art and our new name. If you aren't subscribed, Now would be a great time to do that so that you don't need to remember to find us under our new name, the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. Once we roll out the Pure Life Ministries Podcast, I'll be explaining why we made this change and announce some other changes coming that I think you'll really find to be a blessing. All of that will happen when we release our first episode on April 1st under the new name, the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. All right, that's it for now. Here's the episode. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, was the Apostle Paul's confident claim. To the man who has tried time after time to quit his besetting sin, these words can seem like a mockery. Nevertheless, they stand as a testimony of truth to every blood-bought child of God. Welcome to Purity for Life. I'm your host, Nate Dancer. This week we want to talk about faith. Faith is such an integral part of Christianity that it is often referred to as the Christian faith. Faith is the subject of sermons, songs, and movies, and is featured on artwork, decorations, and even clothing. But for the Christian who has been bound by sexual sin for years, it can be difficult to really have faith in what the Bible says about freedom. Why? Because their experience seems contrary to faith. Today we are going to look at why faith is the victory over sexual addiction. As I already mentioned, we're going to talk today about why faith is the victory over sexual addiction. But first, I need to make a disclaimer. Faith is not a magic power that we can wield to get certain results in our lives. Faith is a conviction that comes from having a genuine relationship with God because the more deeply we understand his character and his promises, the more we will have a real confidence, faith, in our lives. But many people in the church, and maybe even some listening now, don't have a real relationship with Jesus. So, they may have tried to exercise faith, quote-unquote, in the past, only to find themselves disappointed. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that subject later. Okay, now that I've said that, I think that this show is going to be a real blessing for our listeners, because if you've ever been in sexual sin, you know that faith is difficult to hold on to when all we see is our own sins and mistakes and failures. And that's why the enemy is always so quick to whisper in our ears with discouragement and condemnation after a failure. In this segment from our 20 Truths YouTube series, Pastor Steve Gallagher shares the strategies and the battle plans that helped him build the kind of faith that would bring the victory over sexual addiction. Okay, truth number 19, faith is the victory over sexual addiction. 
In this segment, I want to address one of the key factors that helped me overcome habitual sin. I'm talking about faith. Let's face it. It's hard to believe for the victory when you look behind you and you see nothing but years of defeat. When you look at your present life and you see driving lust inside you and countless temptations swarming around you. And when you look into the future and can't come up with a single reason to believe that anything will be any different than it has been in the past. And yet, I can tell you that nothing of real value is ever accomplished without a sincere belief that it can actually happen. At the core of all successful enterprise lies the hope of success. Robbed of his hope, a man loses every ounce of strength and motivation to keep trying. Knowing this, the enemy does his utmost to breed hopelessness and despair, especially in men struggling with habitual sin. Every failure or setback is followed by the foul stench of some devil's breath as he condemningly whispers, You see, you thought you could be free, but you'll never be free. Why does the enemy fight so vehemently against a believer's faith? Because he knows it's one of the most powerful weapons he has in the battle with habitual sin. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, was the Apostle Paul's confident claim. To the man who has tried time after time to quit his besetting sin, these words can seem like a mockery. Nevertheless, they stand as a testimony of truth to every blood-bought child of God. The defeated Christian's problem, then, is not any failure on the Lord's part, but on his own lack of faith in the veracity of that statement. God has already fulfilled his end of the bargain by sending his Son. It's therefore left to the Christian to believe and then act in faith on that belief. Paul faced his own internal struggles with his fallen nature, as the seventh chapter of Romans candidly describes. With utter transparency, he penned his deepest personal battles. Quote, Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? He cried out. But then at the darkest moment of despair, it seems that he received a fresh revelation from on high. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, for the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Inherent within these verses is a promise, but it's a conditional promise. Until a man truly believes there's hope of freedom, believes the truth of God's word, he'll never take the necessary steps to claim the promise of freedom. The life of liberty was purchased at Calvary for every child of God. It was there on the cross that Jesus forever broke the hold of sin on the believer. Freedom for the captives has been declared and won. The chief problem is simply that many Christians just don't realize that they're free. Therefore, they keep acting like they're slaves. The important thing to know about this is that there is a biblical pattern of faith that is a necessary part of coming into that freedom. First, a man must hear the report that he's free. Then he must accept it by faith. And finally, he must act upon that faith by fulfilling any conditions attached to it. After doing all of this, he will begin to feel the freedom that was being offered all along. 
This is the divine order of faith. The problem is that many Christians want to reverse this order. They want the feeling of freedom before the actions of faith. The problem with that tact is that feelings follow behavior. We feel free when we act like free men. Living by feelings rather than faith, many doom themselves to a life of perpetual defeat. So we must move forward with the actions of a free man. I'll explain it by a statement I've made many times. We initiate and God empowers. What I mean by that is that when we know something is God's will, we must move forward in faith. There's no question that God wants you to be free, so you must start acting like someone who is free. As you move forward in faith, God will empower you in the battle. This is one of those kingdom principles that can make a real difference in a believer's life. I want to end this talk by sharing something a little more practical. One of the reasons I had the faith to believe God for the victory is because I've routinely read Christian biographies over the years. Ever since I first came to the Lord, I've had a biography sitting on my nightstand, which I read every night. I don't have words to adequately describe to you how these stories have strengthened, deepened, and impacted my faith in God to do the impossible. Each book shares story after story of God's miraculous provision. Such tales of God's power makes him big in the reader's mind. And the bigger God is in our thinking, the smaller our problems seem in comparison. If you will feast on these books like I have, I promise you that a strong faith will begin to grow inside you to believe God to do the impossible in your life as well. I want to take a minute to mention by name some of the books that have had the greatest impact on my faith. I can't take the time to talk about them individually, but I can at least offer you a list if you want to pursue getting them for yourself. So here they are, and I'm going to start off with the one that has impacted my faith the most, God's Smuggler by Brother Andrew. Behind that, The Hiding Place by Corey Tenboom, The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson, Jonathan Goforth by Rosalind Goforth. And here's another one that really is a faith builder, How I Know God Answers Prayer, also by Rosalind Goforth. Evidence Not Seen by Darlene Diebler. Amy Carmichael of Donavour by Frank Houghton. Hudson Taylor and the China Inland Mission by Dr. Howard Taylor. William and Catherine Booth by Trevor Yaxley. And finally, The Heavenly Man by Brother Yoon. I've read some of these books 20 times over the years. They're a source of constant inspiration in my life. Listen, I fully realize that when you're in the grip of an addiction, you're looking for solutions that are going to change your situation quickly. But I can tell you that victory doesn't happen like that. You need a life change that's going to bring you into godly living. And I'm just telling you that this is one of those practices you can initiate into your daily life that will make a big difference over the long run. It's this sort of thing that will build a formidable faith inside you to help you weather the storms of temptation. Now, if you go out and buy one of these books today and read the whole thing tonight, you're probably not going to wake up tomorrow a new person. But if you want your faith to really grow over the coming months, start reading biographies, and I really think you'll notice a change as you go. 
It really is like the old hymn claims, faith is the victory. Build your faith, start acting on your faith, and watch God bless your faith with a life of victory. While her husband Steve was battling his way out of sexual addiction, Kathy Gallagher had her own battles with sin that she had to believe God for victory over. In this chapel talk, she shares from her testimony in order to encourage the men in our residential program to believe God that he can and will take hopeless sinners and make them into sons and daughters fit for his kingdom. We hope that it encourages and blesses you as well. I don't know how this is going to come off. Um, but before I read these verses, I want to just say, I know how some of you struggle to believe that the Lord is going to do what needs to be done. But man, someday we are going to stand before him face to face that is not a fairy tale that's not Sunday school stuff that is our reality man and God is more than able to do in you you won't be able to do it but he will do it he is getting his will done he is the king of all the earth of heaven of earth of things under the earth in the sea he reigns now we talk, we sing, we the song, someday, and that's true, someday, but now Jesus can reign. Jesus can reign and rule over your inside world. I know it doesn't seem real to you. I know it seems so ridiculous in some ways, so fake, because the world is so huge and your problems are so huge and what you're facing is so huge but I just want to encourage you get your eyes on the Lord that even sounds very trite well how do you do that get your eyes off yourself that's a start he is the king he has all authority in heaven and in earth and he knows what to do with you And he's winning. Even though you fail, God is winning. And the only way he's going to let go of you you, is if you insist, demand, and persist in rebellion. But if you will keep surrendering and saying yes, even in the midst of your failures, God is going to have his way. He is having his way. I'm a testimony. I don't know what you all think about us sitting up here, but we're a bunch of sinners. Man. You know, when I was 18, I got married when I was 16 so, to a loser. And because I was a loser, I was an idiot. <laughs> Stupid 16-year-old. I thought I knew everything. And when I was 18, somehow the Lord, I was just such a rebel. I was drugging and drinking and partying and carrying on. I was just an empty-headed teenage girl going nowhere fast. And Jesus found me. He found me in that condition. 
I was a rebel, a, a sinful woman. In the Bible sense of the word, I was a sinful woman. And in that condition, he sought me out. And it was almost like the worse that I was, the more he persisted and pursued me. And he found me. And not only did he find me, but he somehow broke through this stony, stubborn, rebellious heart and revealed his love to me. And all I could do was melt and say, yes, I want that. That's what I'd been searching for. I wanted someone to love me. And I found him. He found me. And I said yes to that love. And I don't know how to tell you. I was 18 years old then. I'm 50 today. And he has kept me. He has challenged me, chastened me, disciplined me, loved me, corrected me, showed me what I was like, showed me what he was like all through this journey. The Lord has been so good to me. And you know what the best things were that he did for me? He showed me what was in me. He showed me how black my heart was. He showed me I wasn't going to make it. I couldn't be good enough. I couldn't clean it up and be a good girl now somehow. He wasn't waiting for me to clean up my act and get it together and be a good person. He came after a sinner woman. And that's all he got was a sinner woman. But he's changed me. He put himself in this sinner woman. And that's what he's doing for you men. He's putting himself in the place of that sinful. He hung on Calvary. What else could he do? He bore it in his body. Your sin nailed him to Calvary. It was Jesus who paid the price. It's been done. It is finished. I don't know why I'm saying this to you guys. I just feel so strongly in my heart that there's still so much unbelief in you, maybe, that he can give you his divine nature. It is miraculous. It's spiritual way over our heads to understand, but that is what God is doing. He's giving us his divine nature. And the prayer, the cry in my heart for you, for me, for all of us is, Lord, help me. Lord, please help me to love that, to want that, to want you more than I want my flesh, my life in this world. You know how to, Lord, you do. You know how to change us. You know how to take a sinful person, Lord, and get them to bow. I know it's us, Jesus. I know that it's us. We have to want that. But God, I'm asking you, to put that want where there is no want. Put a willingness in us where there is no willingness. You know we can't do it, Lord. You know we're weak. 
We're vile. We're dirty. We can't turn it around. But Jesus, we cry out to you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what denomination, where your background is. I pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and change your mind. And change your heart from being unbelieving to believing that Jesus was raised up from the dead that he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us and he is making headway and he is div- he is imparting his divine nature and he is going to someday throw a robe on your back and a ring on your finger and bring you into the Father's house. That is reality, Lord. I know it is. I know that's what you're doing in us, God. And just help our unbelief God, conquer this devilish thing in us, Lord. You are the majestic one, Jesus. We're so grateful, even though our hearts, Lord, can be so calloused. We can be so hard, but Lord, in just a brief few seconds, we want to say, Lord, we worship you and thank you. In spite of what we don't see, we thank you for what you're doing in the unseen realm. We magnify you, Jesus. We want you to be exalted. Please help our blind eyes to see. In your mighty, mighty name, Lord. Amen. Now, some of you might be saying, I do have faith. I believe in God and I believe the Bible. So why aren't I seeing the victory? But 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells us that we must examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. And the question is, are we sure that we have the faith that we think we have? In this segment, one of our former residential program counselors talks with Mike Johnston about temporal faith versus eternal faith and how we can tell which of these is operating in our lives. Bill Lucas has joined me in the studio. Bill, it's good to see you again. Thanks for stopping by. Yes, thanks for having me back, Mike. Bill, we're going to talk today about faith, and I know that faith can often be a very misunderstood thing. That's true. It can kind of elude you. Faith, what is faith? You know, Mm -hmm. Hebrews 11.1 gives you an example of what faith is as far as a definition, but you know, it's just one of those topics that you got to really look into and find out exactly, do I have faith? Well, I'm hoping we can do that a little bit today. And Bill, I hope you don't mind me saying, but I want our folks to know that one of the reasons I asked you to come in and talk about faith is because I have watched you struggle with it so much over the years. You know, some people just seem to have all kinds of faith and just be full of faith. You're not one of those people. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I tend to see the glass is half empty. So that tends to make faith very difficult because faith is not feeling based Mm -hmm. or emotion based. And so over the years, I've really struggled because I tend to be more feeling Mm. and I'm learning that faith is something that I learned to just begin to trust God. The Word of God is what builds the faith, Mm. and that's by believing. Yeah. Well, the Word of God is exactly where we're going to go as we begin our discussion on faith. And we've just got a list of verses here. And in fact, this comes out of a study that we both did going through the live-in program. Right. And hopefully we've learned a little bit more about it <laughs> since that time. 
But let's just go through a few scriptures, both in the Old and New Testament, mostly in the New, but we'll begin one with Habakkuk here in the Old Testament, and what we learn about faith, just some basic concepts about it. Well, with Habakkuk 2.4, says the righteous or the just shall live by faith. Mm-hmm. And again, it brings up without faith, it's impossible to please God. Yeah. In fact, we find that very first in Hebrews 11.6, we cannot please God without faith. Also, we see in John 3.15 that faith in Christ is an absolute requirement for eternal life. Yeah, and I see in Romans 5.1, through Jesus, we have peace with God, and that we're justified by faith. Mm. And in Romans 10.9, we are saved by faith, and that faith comes by hearing the word of God, or hearing the words of Christ is another way to look at that. Right. That has been something that, as a counselor, has helped the men begin to grow in faith, and it is through hearing. Mm. And then the last one we have here is James 1, 5 through 6, where we learn that we should expect not to receive anything we ask of God unless we ask in faith. Yeah, and that's been one of my (laughs) big verses I go to from time to time just to see that without doubting, I can expect, but with the doubting Mm. comes the waves in and out. (laughs) (laughs) The waves of darkness. Yeah. (laughs) Bill, when we started, we talked about individuals who think they have faith, but they don't really have true saving faith. And one of the ways that we can differentiate between those two would be the idea of a temporal faith, faith rooted in our experience and our life in this world, and an eternal faith. Talk a little bit more about what the temporal faith might look like in somebody's life. Yeah, well, there are those who believe there is a God. They also believe that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. So they basically believe the facts. Correct. It's based in this world, and it's not born out of a true repentance. Mm. When a person truly repents, there's a direction change in their life. It's like their lives are given over to following after God and doing, in a sense, what God is doing. I think, again, with the idea of faith, faith comes through hearing the Word of God, and that faith is based on what God's Word is saying. Mm. So often you hear people say they believe, they believe in Jesus, they believe in God, but yet their life doesn't represent what the Bible says is belief. Mm. So we would categorize that as a temporal faith, something that is just simply based on this Mm -hmm. time in their life. Well, you mentioned as regarding eternal faith that it includes repentance. So eternal faith then would be not only understanding and knowing the facts, but also agreeing with what God has said about us, what he has said about me, what he has said about himself, and then living a life with that conviction. Right. With the eternal faith, it's seeing what you're like, it's seeing what God is like, and then responding to that belief. So there's an aspect of trust in him, not only trust that what he has said is true, but trust in what he said he will do or has done is true. Correct. Bill, one of the reasons it is so critical that we know whether we have a temporal faith or an eternal faith is because Jesus, in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23, makes a very profound statement regarding those who may think they have faith but don't have an eternal faith as we've described it. Why don't you read that passage from Matthew? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Mm. To me, that scripture, you know, you wonder how is that happening with all of the great works or manifestations Mm -hmm. of what we would characterize today as being spiritual or godly or having faith. Mm -hmm. And yet here is God saying, depart from me. Yeah. And what stood out was you who practice lawlessness, or another word is iniquity. Mm. Now that sounds so odd because as you said, here's an individual who maybe we could put it in a modern context as saying, but Lord, I was a Sunday school teacher. I was putting tracks out and knocking on doors and all of these things. And yet he said these were works of lawlessness. And it could only be if they were doing it in a faith that is worldly, that it's not a faith rooted in repentance. They weren't works done out of the heart of God and a willingness to be submissive to God. But in a lot of those cases, it's just done out of the desire to try to earn your way to heaven or make yourself acceptable before God. But that isn't saving faith. Right. <laughs> this is one of those times when you got a question, here are people who are saying they're serving God, and yet the way I read the scriptures is they weren't serving God. Mm -hmm. That's the whole thing is what is your faith in, the world or a faith in God? Mm -hmm. That is something to really examine your life about. Yeah, one of the aspects also of faith that we want to talk about is a recognition of where our life is rooted. And I think we have to be honest as we look across the landscape of Christianity today, or at least of the organized church today, what we really see is far too many who have their life rooted in the things of this world, and they forget that this world is not our home. This is something, again, as I came to Pure Life Ministries, has been tremendous in opening my eyes to the battle within, the battle that I've always knew was there but didn't quite understand. And we stated earlier about faith, it just seems like some people just exhibit this faith that shows in every aspect of their life. And I've always had this struggle. And as you read through the Bible, as in Philippians 3.20, you find out that our citizenship is in heaven, and Mm -hmm. it's not here on this earth. When that becomes real, you start seeing the reality that this isn't our home. This is something we're passing through. It is the the continual fight against being conformed, as the Mm -hmm. Bible would say, don't be conformed to the world. Yeah. One of the things A.W. Tozer wrote, he said, men think of the world not as a battleground, but as a playground. Mm. And that is certainly true as we look at American Christianity today. Yeah. Again, when I read about men of old that have testimonies, their eyes are stamped on eternity. Their, Their home is heavenward. They're looking to the coming of the Lord, and they're not trying to find, if I can put it this way, heaven on earth. At this point, they see it as a battle, and they lived it like that. And too often today... People are moving into more of what can I get out of it now? Mm-hmm. What, mm-hmm. How can I live a comfort life now that I'm a Christian and I should have God on my side, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. And that is an excellent measure of what kind of faith you really have. You can still be lusting after the things of this world in your heart. You can be a friend of the world, and the Scripture tells us if you are a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God. Right, And so if our friendship is with this world, if we don't have that eternal perspective, then really we've got to ask ourselves, what kind of faith do I really have? Right. 
not so much we're looking to beat you down for it, but just examine your faith. It should put a cry in your heart. God, I may not have faith like I think I do. Mm -hmm. I may not be where I think I am with this faith and just asking the Lord to help you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling. And that's what God is, I believe, wanting. He's wanting us to cry out to him and ask him about this whole area of faith. Yeah. And really what God is longing for us to do, Bill, is to walk a life of being faithful. You know, we can look at the great faith chapter, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11, the great men and women of faith through history, the way they have lived their lives, the way they have been willing to sacrifice. And really, you know, you could look at all of those stories individually, but you wrap them all up together, and what you see is men and women who are living for eternal things. They are living in obedience to the Word of God. They're giving their lives away for others. And in a term, they are living lives that are faithful. Right. Mike, I'll tell you what, I've really learned over the years, and it's true, I'm not just saying this, but I've learned that when I live my life for others, in a sense, or I turn to God and I've given my life to Him when I'm not being selfish and always looking at me, but I'm walking this walk in faith, that's when I find the most contentment Mm -hmm. and the most joy. I have been a soldier myself, and there's a scripture in 2 Timothy 3. It says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, And then it says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And, you know, we've all, if you're a Christian, you've been enlisted, you've been purchased. And as you read the Word, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word. And as you read statements like this in the Bible, I don't know if I can call it a void, that, that thing that you're always missing. If you would start living your life according to the Bible, the way it's presented in statements like this, contentment will come and your faith will grow in him who has called you. Yeah. As you've shared your own struggle, correct me if you haven't found this to be true, I think you have, that as you struggle through those things and as you're obedient, that God increases your faith through all of that. Right. I don't measure my faith in a sense. I just see when I obey God God truly is my Father. He Mm -hmm. truly will take care of me, and I would consider that faith, and I see it growing. Well, he is the faithful one. He is. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and that's the great thing is true faith does not require that I am perfect in my faith, but really, in a sense, it requires that I believe he is perfect in his faith and that he will give me his faith to walk out what he's asking me to do. Yeah, Mike, I was reading Oswald Chambers today in My Utmost for His Highest and just want to read a portion of it. It says, When we are in fear, we can do nothing less than pray to God, but our Lord has a right to expect that those who name his name should have an understanding confidence in him. Yeah, God expects his children to be so confident in him that in any crisis they are the reliable ones. Our trust is in God up to a certain point, but then we go back to the elementary panic prayers of those who do not know God. And, Mm. you know, when Jesus said, O ye of little faith, as Oswald is saying here, he says, what a pang must have shot through the disciples, missed it again. Mm. And what a pang will go through us when we suddenly realize that we might have produced downright joy in the heart of Jesus by remaining absolutely confident in him no matter what was ahead. You know, this is the whole idea of faith, getting into the Word and growing in knowing that God truly is the faithful one. Yeah, amen. The only real place we can and should put our confidence 
uh, the one who is faithful. Amen. Amen. So praise the Lord. He is faithful. (laughs) He is. That is true. All right, Bill. Thank you so much. Appreciate you coming in and talking about real faith. All right. It's been good to be here, Mike. As you can tell, faith is one of the most important subjects in the Bible. It is from Genesis to Revelation. But it can be a difficult reality to understand and live out. Because as fleshly, physical beings, our default is to fall back into trusting our senses and our experiences and the things that we can see around us. But praise the Lord that we serve a God that is bigger than our senses and a God that is faithful. If you'd like to learn more about faith, look for Pastor Steve's sermon, What is Real Faith? on YouTube. And if you'd like to know more about what genuine conversion is, check out Purity for Life episode number 353. We hope that this episode has helped to equip and encourage you to fight the good fight of faith. And we'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.